0: to Page It to the Limit, a podcast where we explore what it takes to run software in production successfully. We cover leading practices used in the software industry to improve both system reliability and the lives of the people supporting those systems. I'm your host, Mandy Walls. Find me at lnxchk on Twitter. Welcome back, folks, to Page It to the Limit. This week with me, I have Sean Stacey who is senior manager for product operations here at PagerDuty. Sean, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here.
0: So today we're going to talk about something I think is super cool, which is a new workflow for sunsetting stuff here at PagerDuty. Tell us about what you've been working on with this.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool, actually. A little bit of a backstory here. Um, So, I've been with PagerDuty now for seven years, actually, this July. So, you know, in PagerDuty years, I'm I'm a dinosaur. That's a long time, the the longest I've ever been with a single company um, in my career. Anyways, I started way back in 2015 as a scrum master under engineering. So, very interested in, you know, team dynamics and, you know, process and operations. I work out of the Toronto office. And back then, the Toronto office was quite literally 100% engineering, no other business functions. We had one IT guy and a jack-of-all-trades HR person, and then everyone else was in engineering, and that's it. And so the point is is that you know I've gotten to see um, and experience this company's incredible growth and maturation, and a big part of that has been critical aspects of the software development lifecycle that you don't really think that much about when you're a startup. Right. Like so EOL, like end of life, sunset, deprecation, Mm -hmm. um, end of service. Um, all of those terms, we can get into a little bit more detail, um, maybe a little bit later in the show. But for me, the the overall kind of EOL process really does fall into that category, right? Like, I mean, when you're at like a startup, it's like, are you going to be around long enough to actually end of life anything or sunset anything, right? So it's not typically something that is, you know, uh, front of mind from an operational perspective. But now end of life is is incredibly important, right? We have 30 plus development teams. They can't be hitting home runs all the time, right? Some of some of rat bats are, are gonna whiff. And also, you know, we at PagerDuty Duty uh, pride ourselves in, in being able to innovate quickly, which means we have to experiment. You can't leave a bunch of half-baked experiments hanging around. It's bad for your customers, and it's bad for your development teams, right? So you need to establish some sort of repeatable process around how to deprecate and sunset your features and continuously improve. And and that's what the EOL uh, program and project is all about. Yeah, I mean, that's what I would say, just kind of like grand scale. It's been interesting just to see that, like, you don't really think about it and then you get to some sort of inflection point and you're like oh wait a second this is really important and that's really kind of how it started is you know product managers were saying hey you know we're we're getting to a point where you know we need to sunset some stuff and we're not sure what steps should be taken. And and we were kind of like reinventing the wheel every single time. And it's at that point, product operations uh, got involved and said, OK, well, let's put some structure behind this and make it repeatable and allow other product managers to, to stand on the shoulders of, of those who have come before and leverage that knowledge and, and experience. And so we've still got a long way to go. It's really, really important <laughs> that uh, yeah. uh, that we, we, we've we started that that process.
0: Absolutely, because you can't. Can't really have a yard sale. Like, we gotta have a plan for what we're gonna do with this stuff. So, set that baseline for folks like EOL, sunsetting, deprecation, like having the shared understanding of what we actually mean when we talk about that across the entire organization. What are our definitions for those terms?
1: Right. So that's actually, you know, been a bit of a learning curve for mm-hmm. the entire organization as well. Until we we started to learn a little bit more, we actually just called it deprecation because mm-hmm. that's what we we thought it was. Um, and as, you know, we started going through that process and, and learning more about it. And this was really kind of like learning about it as you're doing it, right? There wasn't really time to, to separate that. But deprecation, so... Really, there's, there's two main parts to the kind of this like end kind of state of the software development lifecycle, right? Which is end of lifing the features. And the sunsetting and deprecation are kind of colloquial terms for um, end of life and, and end of support or end of service. I think end of support. I mean, whatever they're, they're they're. I mean, it fits the same acronym, so it's it's fine. Yeah. So really, the way that that it works is end of life is um, sunsetting. It means that you're torn. you're turning the thing off. It's it's that that's it. That's all. And you know that could be as a result of a failed experiment. That could be the the result of you know going off in a different direction. It could be the result of many other things. But the, the point is, is that sunsetting means end of life, which means literally turning the thing off. It's not going to be supported. It's not going to be developed. It's not, You can't use it anymore, which is different from end of support, which is a deprecation, which is we're no longer going to support. We're going to leave that feature on. We have customers who you know use that feature, find value in that feature. And so we're not going to like yank, yank the bandaid off and say, sorry, that that's it. Um, and so that's that's the difference between the two. And And another way of looking at it is deprecation or end of service is a step on the path to end of life. Sure is the progression that you would follow. And that doesn't mean that you have to go through that progression every single time. You can go straight to an end of life. And then that the, the flip side of that is very interesting. And, and I think we'll get into this be a little bit as well, which is when you're talking about um, things that are in, in beta. At uh, PagerDuty, um, we all know that we call beta early access or, or EA, right? So we have a lot of things that, that are in EA that should be sunset that should be end of life, right? They shouldn't just be hanging around there um, in EA. So, you know, again, the, the, the choice comes down to the, the product manager uh, and their team, obviously, um, you know, against the backdrop of, of PagerDuty's larger kind of strategic initi- initiatives for product development, but the choices of, of when uh, to do that are really do um, rest with the team. Um, but it's something that I think is really important that like if you're a team that like has a bunch of, of EAs that are kind of hanging around that you haven't even put into end of space support, that creates a significant amount of drag on your team. There's a cognitive burden to be had there. Um, so it's just something that you want to be aware of.
0: Absolutely. You're, like you say, it's, it's a drag. Like You're you're pulling these things along. They might get into a state where there's a security or a CVE on them or something else that has to be remediated. And you're like, well, what's exactly. actually the value of continuing to maintain this thing if it's never going to get to live in the real world or whatever?
1: Exactly right.
0: Yeah. Do you think there's anything particular about doing this kind of process with PagerDuty being a SaaS versus on-prem? So you don't really have the, we're not sitting around waiting for people to update anything necessarily on their own side. But at the same time, we can be cognizant of who's actually using the thing.
1: That's a really great question. I, yeah, I do think that there's things that you need to consider. You know, when you're you're running a SaaS um, and, and a continuous delivery situation, which which we certainly are, and that is is that I think you just you need to be much more deliberate and careful about your communications, both mm-hmm. internally and externally. Right? You know, these things are happening really quickly. Um, you know, we're growing and scaling. Our customers are hopefully growing and scaling with us, and so I think you need to be in our situation extra diligent about, really, I mean, it comes down to GTM, your, your go-to-market kind of um, approach to, you know, end-of-lifing features, right? So you just need to be more careful because it's almost like there's a forcing function in a non-prem. Right. Sure. Where it's oh, like, yeah. You know, it's there's a forcing function by virtue of the fact that it's on prem. You know, you probably has pro serve in there like those. A lot of those kind of boxes are already ticked just by virtue of a lot of that control is in the hands of the customer. Yeah,
0: right, You never get to a point where you have to make a conscious decision to renew a lease or exactly. to talk about an operating system change or or any of those. That's exactly None it. of those inflection points.
1: Exactly right. So, I mean, that's what I would say is, I think it just, you know, you need to be more careful. And that's interesting because it's one of the main reasons that that product operations even became a thing at, at PagerDuty is, again, we're scaling very quickly, we're going very quickly. And, you know, there are, when you, you work in continuous delivery, as we do, it's very easy to get the horse blinders on and, you know, follow agile principles and say, you know, get stuff to market and in the hands of your customers as quickly, But you still need to balance that with with the awareness piece, you know, internally and externally. So you don't want to catch either your internal stakeholders and, you know, go to market, Partners off guard, and you certainly don't want to keep, uh, catch your customers off guard. And the other thing as well is is that PagerDuty was really um, in the beginning, at least, was was really kind of aimed at the like the responder, the DevOps mm-hmm. person, right? People that are pretty cool with you know, hey, continuous delivery, no problem. Give me the new stuff all the time. I'll we'll figure it out. That's great. That's different for the enterprise, right? And to your point, right, where they have all kinds of internal documentation and processes that they need to follow because you're talking about You know, teams on massive scales, um, and not some some individual or like a handful of individuals, right? So, I mean, the the complexity there of that change management is massive, and so you need to be careful under that circumstance as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. And like one of the things you were talking about there is like talking to your other partners within the organization. Talk Mm -hmm. us through like that the the way the 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 plan came together because like as I'm looking through the documentation, I notice we've got like product marketing which is a team that i sit under is involved plus legal and like all these other folks and like your customer service representatives and like all these other people who are then involved in the messaging and working with the customers and and how all the this stuff sort of hangs together like this is a this is a complex sort of plan
1: there's a lot of a lot, lot of hands in the cookie jar for sure the way that we did it is the first thing is, is like understanding the workflow. <laughs> I hesitate to use that term. Right. But like, I mean, there, there is some sort of workflow that exists prior to the structure that you bring in. Right. And what I mean by that is, you know, product operations didn't come in and say, you know, here's the playbook for how you do this thing. Right. Product operations came in and said, let's talk to all the people that we think are involved. You know, we'll, we'll cast as wide a net as we can and we'll have those conversations with with those individuals. What are their needs? How do they contribute to this? Uh, what are their inputs and outputs? And then you can start to draw a picture of like what the actual kind of more ideal workflow should be. So it's like, there is some sort of, even if it's like, you know, not documented and fairly chaotic and only in a a certain group of people or a certain person's head, right? There is some sort of unstructured kind of workflow or process that that already exists. I think that, you know, the the approach needs to be, okay, like let's take an inventory of, of, of what that is let's literally draw it out, right? You know, I find it really helpful to you know, make visualizations of that workflow. Who's involved? What do they produce? What do they expect to receive? How does an end of life, for example, right, kind of move through that chain? Um, so that's really really what it's about is the first step is really like observation, right? It's like, who are all the players? What are the, What are their needs? And how can we get them working together more effectively? So it's really just about having those conversations, understanding what what exists, making some small suggestions for, for improvements. Um, and then you'll see, you know, you'll start to pretty quickly. And so you you have to be careful because there's an inflection point here as well, where, you know, there's a tipping point where it becomes, okay, now we're starting to get like too many people involved in this, right? Like what you you start to be like, what's the, you know, like, so when you hit that kind of inflection point where you're like, we need to actually figure a critical path so we can solve this problem of being more effective, you know, working cross-functionally across all of these, these business units, that's really how it all comes together.
0: Yeah. Was there anything that, Anything in particular that sort of kicked off like codifying all of this?
1: It was really, um, as I as I mentioned a little bit earlier, it was really the the, the friction and the, the pain point that product managers were feeling, right? Where it was like, hey, like we're being told that we need to do these things, but we're not sure. You know, of course, all the product managers understood what end of life meant and and you know some of the baseline things that you do around it, but they didn't know what the expectations were in terms of who they needed to talk to and partner with internally, and that's that's really what kind of kicked this all off as being. Like we don't have a good idea of what, what that needs to be. And and as I said, like who all the players are, what their needs are, what their timelines are. And so it was really the product managers being like, hey, we get it, we need to do these things. We're absolutely, we're behind doing these things. We're just not sure what are all the things that need to be done? Who are all the people that need to be involved, right? Um, and that that's what really was the catalyst for, for, for doing this.
0: Yeah, this is definitely the first time I have seen something as comprehensive as this plan is. And like, I find it super exciting. Like I have been on the opposite end where I've been dragging around legacy systems because no yeah. one wants to make a decision or have a plan for turning them off and what that actually means. From this perspective, I think this is absolutely fabulous.
1: Well, thank you. That I, I appreciate that.
0: Uh, one of the things that we like to ask folks on the show are what's a myth or a misconception that folks have about this process that you can debunk for us? I'm sure there's Bunch
1: <laughs> there, there, there are. There's a lot. Wow. There's, there's a few to choose from. I think the one that's that that's top of mind for me is we were touching on it a little bit earlier. Uh, we alluded to it is is features that stay around in, in early access or, mm-hmm. or beta for for too long, um, with no clear or intentional path forward and in this case no no intention to sunset or to, or to deprecate and the the myth is that it doesn't have a negative impact on the development team right mm-hmm. that it's like oh you know it's not a big deal and I mean, if the team is is still actively supporting um, the EA feature, right? So, like, if it then then the impact, I think, is clear, right? But, but that's not the situation that that I'm talking about. The situation that I'm talking about is EA features that are are no longer supported whatsoever. And the myth is is that these kinds of features don't have a negative impact on it on a team, right? They do, um, and in a lot of cases you know i like to to think about engineering software development as as a craft it mm-hmm. it really is a craft it's yeah. and and it's something that you know these individuals once upon a time many moons ago I, I was a developer as well it's been you know a decade or two since since i was so a lot has changed but you develop like an, an emotional attachment to your work right yes. to your craft and and to what you produce and so when something gets stuck in this never ending limbo Um, I think it's natural to ask yourself why and what ifs and it's nuanced, but that's part of the drag that I was talking about earlier. Like there's other drags and he brought up some really good stuff that is more around technical debt and some of the other things that can occur. But there's also this like strange kind of nuanced, um, you know, drag that like happens on like an emotional cognitive level um, because it stays within the consciousness of the individuals that make up that team. Right. So, I mean, it also clearly has a negative impact on our customers. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, the customers will sit there. I mean, Sean Scott will laugh about this because he makes a comment about it all the time. But like, you know, pretty much every single product, all hands, you know, the, the specter of well, what are we doing with. Uh, um, I know the name of the service is Mortimer. I can't believe that's how I'm going to recall it. But yes, <laughs> our our post mortem feature. Oh
0: right? yes, that's a- and so
1: that that gets asked all the time, and you know that was something that came out of a hack day. day. We put it out in production. Some of our customers really liked it, and we're like, hey, you know, it's it's really we we really see some value here, but we would like to see some iteration. We'd like to see this evolved. And you know, PagerDuty for very good reasons is is not ready to make that commitment right now, that investment right now. Right. So that's that's a good example of customers that like like want to see something evolve. And then, you know, so there's something your listeners may or may have may or may have not heard in the past, but I think it I think it really fits here. It's a cliche that I really like. The best answer that you can give to your customer is yes. And the second best answer you can give them is no. Yeah. Right. Not maybe, not we'll see. Right. And that's really my thinking around, I think it, it's, it's, it's a good fit for EOL, right? Which is, it's much better to intentionally and transparently tell your customer that a feature they find value has got to go the way of the dodo bird, yes. right? I think the worst that you think that you, that you can do is string them along. Right, even unintentionally. Yeah. In fact, most cases it's going to be unintentionally. And the same is absolutely true of your development team. You know, the impact of the customer, I think, is very easy to understand. I think what we miss sometimes in the myth that I'm trying to break here is that you're also paying a price with the development team as well, right? For reasons that that I mentioned, that they they naturally form attachments to the to work to the work that they do. Right. And so if you just leave something completely in limbo, it actually does have an impact on that team's morale.
0: Yeah, and I, I've i seen that happen in other places where I've worked, where we had an architectural decision and kind of split in two different directions and never committed to either one of them. And then right. you never recoalesce afterwards. You have one thing that's kind of hanging out over here, still sort of in beta, but the cool users are using it. And then you have the people who are paying you money, who are using the old thing. And then what do you do? And you never get to a point where anybody can make the intellectual decision to cut bait and go one direction or the other and then you can't make architectural decisions going forward because you cannot you can't make any you're assumptions right yeah. you are hamstring yourself completely because i can't build on this thing because it's still in beta do i build on this thing because technically legacy what do i do oh yeah
1: yeah no that's you're 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 100 of the money and that that's another kind of anti-pattern that that you know i've seen at page of duty and other companies as well and and you, you just brought it up, right? Where there's this it, it seems insane when when you talk about it because it is insane, where you know, a specific team will develop a beta or an EA, right? And there, there's always going to be, you know, reorganizations and, and structural changes, right? Oh, yeah. And then that EA somehow gets hand, handed off to another team, which which is a terrible situation. But compounding that is maybe you think you've handed it off to a new team; they need to learn to how it's built, what it does, um, you know, how to how to uh, run it in production. And then another team decides that it's going to build another beta on that beta. Yes, and it's just like you, you know, I'm... it's just. It's complete insanity, right? It's It's like all the way down. Yes, and that should just be like, as a matter of like, just a strict policy in a product development organization that you do not build betas on other people's betas. (laughs) I just don't, anyways. um, So a little bit of a tangent there, but um, you know,
0: (laughs) a good lesson to learn though, because those, yeah, yeah, those side quests. Oh yeah. Yeah, that ends in tears more often. Yes, it does. It does. So. What's one thing you wish you had known sooner when you went off on this adventure?
1: <gasps> this isn't um, specific to end of life operations. This is more to, to kind of generic question uh, around, you know, what what's something you wish you'd known sooner when it comes to running software in production? Yeah. And there's this book that, that I love. I think everybody in, in our business should, should read. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, Mandy. It's called The, the Tao of Programming by uh, Jeffrey James.
0: I think I have a copy of it around here somewhere. More, actually.
1: Nice. It was written in 1987. It's a tongue-in-cheek kind of uh, literary exercise where he really kind of tries to, you know, speak in this this kind of spiritual way of uh, about about programming, obviously from a, a Taoist uh, kind of perspective. And so, anyways, what, the way that I would answer this one, what do I wish I'd known sooner when it comes to running software in production is book five in the Tao of Programming, which is maintenance. The quote is, is is this thus spake, sorry, thus spake, S-P-A-K-E, the master programmer. Though a program be but three lines long, someday it will have to be maintained. And then he goes on to say in 5.1, right, and this is where you know the, the kind of like that spiritual slant is, is really cool. Um, he says, a well-used door needs no oil on its its hinges, a swift flowing stream does not grow stagnant, a deer blends perfectly into the forest colors. Software rots if not used. These are great mysteries. So that's that's what I would say in answer to that question, right? Is it like doesn't matter, you know, how small something is that that you're running in production. At the end of the day, like if it's it's this this really kind of crazy thing, right? Like if it's not maintained, it doesn't matter how there there will be prices to pay for that. Right yeah. so it's just it's just a quote that I thought was um really cool and like lined up really well with uh with that question.
0: It absolutely does. 100%. <laughs> On my side like I feel like there's always an XKCD for it, right? Cuz like there's, yeah, there's exactly. one where it's like all the blocks, right? And like there's one little thin little leg holding up this entire superstructure and you're like yep. this is a bad plan, but it <laughs> yeah. always happens. Like there's yep. always something back there that you're like here's the magic and don't talk <laughs> about it. So, yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. Uh, I love that you bring up uh, XKCD. That's it's such a great comic. So good.
0: I figure I failed if I don't have at least one XKCD in like every talk because there's always, <laughs> always something that is pertinent to whatever it is we're talking about. For for technology 100%. topics, it's crazy. So hundred percent. Yeah, awesome. Well, we're almost out of time. Is there anything else that you found was interesting that you want to share with people or surprising about this this whole process?
1: I think I would just kind of two things. One, I would reiterate a very astute Kind of observation that you made—that like you know the overall structure of the workflow and then the process behind this is pretty straightforward. It's Mm -hmm. it's not rocket science. um, But you mentioned a very high degree of complexity, and you're absolutely right. And that doesn't come from the process itself, whatever it comes from. You know, at the end of the day, the, the the folks that like it's human beings that are trying to go through this process, and and we're talking about coordinating and orchestrating a lot of human beings, and and that's where the complexity comes from. So I would just stress that it's really important to. Keep those conversations going, right? To do this kind of thing with empathy, to always have your eye towards the continuous improvement, right? Because I can't make this thing better in a vacuum, right? Wow. Like I need, I need, I need to partner and, and collaborate with a, with a lot of individuals to do this. And so, I think I would just kind of, you know, underline that and also say. You know it's, it's kind of a call to action that at the end of every quarter i i run a res- retrospective with all of the teams um that have gone through um an eol okay. um, and the purpose there is to uh, you know to, to try and improve so i would just say you know please if you have gone through an eol or if you're interested in improving this process you have a, your opinions or feedback please don't hesitate to, to reach out to me i'm always happy to talk shop and even more important if you actually have gone through an EOL please do try to make that retrospective because you have boots on the ground experience with what how it exists today and you're going to have the best insight on on how to improve it moving forward
0: yeah so. absolutely because you you will find dark corners like yeah. in unexpected yeah. places just absolutely it is what it is. Yeah. I think this is great. I hope folks out there who are struggling with or considering what to do with things that are no longer fit for their purpose can take a programmatic and and thoughtful approach to just getting ready to turn them off. Just exactly. Just turn be, them off. It's going to be okay. It is going to be okay. Be it's make more space for new stuff to try and go from there. So exactly. Thank so, John, you. this has been great. Thank you so much for- Thank for
1: you. No, this on. was a lot of fun. It's awesome. Yeah.
0: All right. So we will uh, finish up this episode of Pages to the Limit for this week, and we will wish you an uneventful day. That does it for another installment of Page to the Limit. We'd like to thank our sponsor, PagerDuty, for making this podcast possible. Remember to subscribe to this podcast if you like what you've heard. You can find our show notes at pageittothelimit.com, and you can reach us on Twitter at Page it to the Limit using the number 2. Thank you so much for joining us, and remember, uneventful days are beautiful days.